Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of this conversation. Again, I'm your host, Phil Dark. And with me today is my new friend. He's becoming a good friend, Diego Boca Negra. Turns out we both grew up down in the beautiful Southern California area. You know, we're brothers because we have that, that connection. A lot of people are brothers and sisters because that's a big area. But great soccer place. Great man that you're going to get to know as I have, and I'm very excited about that. Before we get to that conversation, I just want to remind you to join the Facebook group. Obviously, on Facebook, it's How Soccer Explains Leadership. And we're going to be putting some some short clips, some short little videos up there that are only going to be there. So I do want you to go to that Facebook group, join it. They're just going to be little leadership tips from myself and Paul and some of our guests that we're going to be able to get some little cool nuggets that will be bonus from the interviews that will not be released as the interviews. We're going to be doing some separate videos there and they will only be there. So thanks. As I said, thanks again for being a part of this. I absolutely love doing what I'm doing and I hope that you love what you're learning from these great people. So without more from that today, as I said, Diego Bocanegra, University of Houston head coach. He is also a UCLA Bruin for life as he played there back in his younger days, but he's a lot more than that too. So <laughs> Sorry. Diego, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Phil. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Absolutely, man. It's it's going to be a fun conversation. Sorry, I just got something in my throat and that was really weird. I haven't had that happen, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. You know, you never know what you're going to get here on How Soccer Explains Leadership. But, you know, as, as we start most, most episodes, actually pretty much every episode that we have interviews, I, I love to hear your story. I love to hear how you got to be where you are today. I love to hear about how you developed your passion for soccer and leadership. So can you share that with, with me and with the audience? Absolutely. So I come from parents of immigrants. Both my mom and my dad were born in Mexico. As you know, Mexico is a, a huge place where soccer thrives. It, it is the sport there. They both came over as kids and I was playing soccer by the time I could walk. Even though my dad and mom never played, they were fans of all sports. But I just, for whatever reason, I was pretty athletic, pretty coordinated. I played all sports, but soccer was always my favorite. And so I played it growing up. I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga area. For uh, anyone that's familiar with Southern California, I grew up in the 909. So the 909 is a, a little bit of a soccer hotbed. And so I was really fortunate to play with some very, very good players. We had great competition, you know, for, for the people that don't know Southern California from the 909 players like my brother, Carlos Bocanegra, Nick Romando, Landon Donovan, Mo Edu, Brian Dunseth. We're talking about World Cup Olympians, national team players, and, and all of us in about a 25 mile radius some of us playing on the same teams or playing against each other. And that's just kind of to name a few. So I, I just, for whatever reason, fell in love with the game. And as I got older, went on, had a decent playing career, never quite made it as a pro or wasn't, a, I would say, an impact player at the collegiate level, All-American or anything like that. But I was exposed to some unbelievable coaches and leaders. And so for whatever reason, it, it just grew on me. And then 
the background that my parents had, you know, they, they split when I was really young, they both got remarried. So I have four great parents, three of the four of them. My mom is a retired teacher and principal. My dad and my stepmom are both retired teachers. And so I came from a family of educators. So it all kind of goes in together where a big sports family, educators, and I think teaching, coaching, leadership, something was always in my future, whether I wanted it or not. Luckily, I love it. So that's kind of the, the broad spectrum of how I got started and, and why I love doing what I do. Yeah, it is amazing, as you said, the just incredible players, coaches, other people that have come from, you know, this area that we grew up in. It really is South Orange County, the same thing. I mean, we could go on a list of people. I'm not going to do that. If you listen to the Clyde Best interview, you heard a few of those names, a few of those people. They're a little older than the names you said, but I know there's some newer names that we could we could list off as sure. well. But not to just drop names. It's not for dropping namesake. It's for saying that it's how we develop this passion for this game because we learned early on the power of this game. We learned early on the things we can learn from this game when played at a high level, when involved in programs at high levels, when involved with coaches who have thought about these things and thought about this game versus a lot of the other areas around the country during that time, especially when we were growing up, where a lot of the coaches were just people who had never played the game, who had no clue about this game, and who were just parents who loved their kids and wanted to coach. Now, my dad's one of those. We've talked about this on the show. Paul sure. Johnson, same thing with his dad. But there were also, it was kind of the beginning of these coaches who were coming in and being able to uh, coach at a, at, a different, at a different level and teach us these lessons at a different level. But we also learned from our parents and these other people who absolutely who were learning about the game right alongside with us and so i want to talk a little bit about that you you do you talked about you came from a family of educators your dad coached you when you were a kid too right like me and paul as we've talked about in the past so what did those experiences teach you about the life lessons we can uh take away and we can now teach as coaches from the beautiful game you know my dad like i said never played soccer but he was a coach My dad was actually the varsity basketball coach at my high school. He was also the freshman baseball coach. And so the only time my dad really coached me was when I played youth basketball, when I played little league baseball, but I learned so much from him on a daily basis that I think a lot of that shows up in my coaching. One of the things that I learned from him was really just a work ethic. He said, you know, no matter what, you're, you're pretty talented at, at a lot of these sports. You, you play at a high level, but one thing that you will always do, and this was non-negotiable, he said, you will always show up, you will always give your best, and you will leave it out there on the field, which I didn't have a problem with. I'm competitive. If you know me, I will two-foot my mom if I have to, and then I'll get up and run away because she'll kill me. But <laughs> it doesn't matter if, if I'm on the field and you are across from me, and I don't care if it's a small-sided game at training or whatever. So I learned how to compete at an early age. I also learned fundamental. My dad, I understand it now. If I wanted to play basketball in the front yard, he'd say, okay, go out and shoot 100 free throws. When you're done and you've hit at least 10 in a row one time, then come get me and I'll come play with you. And so he, he made me do that. And at times I'm like, oh, you're just being lazy. You don't want to come play. And right now 
I bet I could beat some NBA players in a free throw shooting contest because I've done that my entire life. We went on a camping trip recently and I was like, oh man, I, I, we were out there on the basketball courts when I was playing and I missed a couple. And then I was like, okay. And my family's ready to go. I'm like, nope, haven't done it. And I was like, I got to go. And then I got in a rhythm and I hit 15 in a row. And then I'm like, okay, we can leave now. <laughs> but I was taught that. And so the same thing applied. One of my early coaches was like, okay, juggling. We're going to teach you how to juggle. I was probably 10 years old. It's like, okay, if you get 10 juggles in a row, you get a water bottle. If you get whatever, when you get to hundred juggles, you get a soccer ball. So guess what I did for the next three weeks? Mm -hmm. I took my ball in the backyard and I juggled. And within a few weeks, I got to hundred because one, I'm competitive, but that same concept of free throws in basketball, juggling the ball, getting extra touches that just, it carried over. And so there's so many lessons that I learned from just sports. My dad would take me to the batting cages every week, whether we had baseball practice or not. Part of it, I think he just wanted to go swing the bat around a little bit, yeah, but part of it was he knew that in order to get good, you had to understand the process. And when I got a little bit older and my stepdad was pretty well off, I actually got to take batting lessons from Rod Carew, wow. famous Anaheim yeah. Angels. He I think it was only open for about a year when he retired, but he had a batting school. And so I was able to go take batting lessons from Rod Carew. But again, it all came back to the fundamentals, put in the work, do what you're supposed to do, do more than other people, and you're going to have better results. And so those are a lot of the, the lessons that I've learned. And I try to implement with my teams. Yeah, there's so much there that I that I want to mine. And the first thing I want to I want to mine there is the idea. And I talked a little bit about it with Corey Close. If you didn't listen to that interview, folks, I, another UCLA woman there. You're not a UCLA woman, but another UCLA person who is an amazing. But she talked about the idea of specialization and specializing too early. You and I both played a lot of sports growing up. And I have yep. no doubt that it made us better athletes, better soccer players. What do you think about specialization? What have you seen from that standpoint as a coach? What do you think about it from the standpoint of, you know, the fact that you didn't do it and how that did improve your game as a basketball player, improved your soccer playing, playing soccer, probably improved basketball. You had to learn different skills at different places. But what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but no, you no, we I mean, obviously we've had some conversations yeah. about this offline or but. I don't like early specialization one bit whatsoever. Part of the reason is I think it becomes a job for these kids at too early an age. You can look at the studies. You can look at, you know, John O'Sullivan wrote a great book, Changing the Game, where I think 67% of all kids drop out of youth sports by the time they're 13. And a lot of that is the pressure that they feel having to specialize too early. It's not fun anymore. And he does a great job in this book explaining all the reasons and, and sharing statistics. But I think it comes down to if you treat these kids like pros, or if you're trying to live vicariously through them, you're taking the joy and the excitement away. We played all the sports, not just organized, but in the street. You know, times are different now and, and depending on where you live, you don't always get to be able to just go out and knock on your friend's door. And, you know, we didn't have phones back then. You knew where everybody was because you saw a pile of bikes in the front yard. And it's like, <laughs> all right, let's go over there. That, that, that's where they're playing. And it didn't matter if it was street soccer, if it was touch football, if it was wiffle ball, baseball, 
tag. It, it really didn't matter. We played everything and we didn't do it because we had to, we do it because we did it because we loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many areas with this, but just getting back to the, the development part of it, I was a better soccer player because I played flag football and then tackle football when I was in high school. Well, guess what? I had to learn how to use my body. I'm not a big guy. You can see that I had to be quicker, smarter than people. So the same footwork that I used as a defensive back was the same defensive footwork that I had to use as the point guard defending somebody else on the basketball court was the same footwork that I have to use in one V one situations there. You know, I could run up and down the basketball court all day long. You know, I came from the time when, you know, when I was a kid, the UNLV running rebels and Larry Johnson and, and that whole crew in Tarkanian, I loved it. It was high pressure. You know, some of Rick Pitino's Kentucky teams, it was full court press the entire game. Mm-hmm. Well, that was great. I was a soccer player. I didn't get tired. That basketball court's tiny compared to a right. soccer field. So right. you, you put some of us out there and we're going to go out and we're going to be in your face the entire time. Mm-hmm. I'm not even breaking a sweat. Right. So it was fantastic. I learned how to judge the flight of a ball. When you're the shortest guy on the court, you learn how the ball's going to come off the rim or you're never going to get a rebound or you're never going to read anything. When you're playing defensive back or wide receiver, you're learning to judge the flight of a a football over long distances and catch the ball. When you're playing baseball, you learn the flight of the ball. And so I won a lot of headers that I had no business doing. Because my timing, my angles, all that stuff was just better from all these other sports. So I think we're missing out on a lot. Now, there's sports like gymnastics, especially women's gymnastics. You specialize earlier because physiologically, that's when the Olympians are young. And there's other sports like that. I'm not talking about those sports. And even soccer, you need to have more touches at a younger age because we do everything with our hands. We eat, we write, we type, we do everything with our hands. What do we do with our feet? Walk, run. Okay. So yes, you need extra touches, but not to the point where 10 year olds are playing 10 months out of the year organized. If they want to play in their backyard all the time, great, go have fun, love it, enjoy it. But I'm a big proponent of all sports. I played four varsity sports in high school. How am I going to say that? I should, I loved all those experiences. I loved being just another member of the track team. I did the long jump. I was nowhere near a star on that team. People didn't even know I was on the team half the time, but I loved it. I was just part of the team where you have that pressure of being a captain and a leader on the soccer team. And I love that too, but it was just those different experiences that you won't get back. And so I think parents are just really hurting their kids when they make them specialize too early. Yep. Absolutely. No, I mean, I look at, I, I would, I tried to get my, my oldest daughter to play other sports. She played basketball for two seasons. And the one problem with soccer players on the basketball court is we tend to foul out too quickly. All the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's what I was just saying. You could say I could run the whole game. Well, the part of the, that easier, cause we only had to run for a few minutes cause we had already had three fouls, but that's what happened <laughs> with my son is, you know, but, but the thing about it was he became a better soccer player when he played basketball, he had to make quicker decisions. He had to have smaller spaces to work in and he had to, you know, he had to be thinking ahead. Right. And a whole lot more, obviously movement, all those things that, that Corey talked about in her interview as well. But you look at like Christian Pulisic, he played basketball yep. and that's one of the, you know, top U S players. But you, you, I heard an interview with him early on when he was over in Europe and, and he was talking about how he loved basketball and how basketball helped him in his soccer playing. 
and you know all the guys when we were growing up. I don't I don't know a single player who went on a full ride somewhere that wasn't a three sport star. At uh, maybe I could probably name one or two, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like these guys, I remember Joe Max Moore was at our high school. He was out surfing every yeah. morning, right? Absolutely. Like these guys are doing something else for the physicality, for the the overuse. And we only played for three, four months a year. There was no year round soccer back then, at least not for me. I mean, maybe we're li- you're a little bit younger, but I don't think it had changed by then. But those are the things that we can. I don't know how we get back there, and that's one of the things I want to talk with you about. You said to me during one of our other interviews the fact that you feel like club and youth soccer is being taken away from the kids and that you want to help to bring it and give it back to them. You know, what, what do you mean by that? And, and how, how can we do that? What does that look like? Yeah. Youth sports has become a multi-million dollar business mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem with people making money. I don't have a problem with people building a great club and providing value to their players because ultimately Soccer is a sport where kids play from the time they were, they could walk like I did and far better players all around the world, but you don't need a lot to play soccer. You need a ball and some people. It doesn't matter if you're playing on dirt, on concrete, on grass, you don't need five goals and walls and mannequins and all that. Is all that stuff great when you get to the higher levels? Absolutely. But it shouldn't cost $10,000 a year to play soccer. Now, if you can build a big club and spread the cost around, and I understand club directors and club coaches, they need to make a living. I've been there before, but I have a hard time when, and I'll give you this analogy and we've kind of talked about it. If you are a big club, a super club, and you are constantly providing value, I don't have a problem with that. It, If I were to pay for a Mercedes and drive a Mercedes and the price tag that comes with it and I'm getting Mercedes, great. If I can afford that, I have no problem with that. But if I'm paying for a Mercedes and I'm driving a Honda, well, then there's something wrong. And mind you, there's nothing wrong with a Honda. I drive a Honda. So I'm not, I'm just, yeah, I'm just getting at the point that because it's become big business, there are more people out there than ever in it for the wrong reasons. Like I said, there are big clubs that charge good money, but the value that they provide, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with those coaches, those clubs, those directors making money because the value that they are providing is equal to what they are charging. It's when they have, when you have these people charging all this money and and making it. So I want that to be clear because I think that happens more often than not. I think people, oh, well, they're charging this, they're charging this. Sure, but you're not giving the same value that these people, these are proven coaches that are maybe former college, maybe former collegiate and professional coaches and players that have insight and connections that you don't. So I think it's really important to understand the statistics as well. About 7% of all college or all youth soccer players. I don't know the statistics for other sports, but about 7% are going to make it to the collegiate level. Only about 1% are going to make it to the division one level. And I think it's about a hundredth of a percent are going to go pro. So if you're a parent, 99% chance your child is not going to play division one. Mm -hmm. Is it worth your time, money, effort to put your kids 
in this pressure situation, spend all this money for them to not make it there. Maybe, but if you're, if that's your main reason, you're missing the point. If you put your kids in sports so they can learn teamwork and leadership and value and how to deal with adversity and how to be put in tough situations and learn resilience and so many other lessons that sports can teach, then you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think there can be a balance. And so you'll hear me a lot more talk about this because I'll be launching a podcast and I just want to give back and help parents, players, coaches really try to provide the best environment, the best fit for these kids, because I really think it's gone too far away from that. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about this and, and actually this actually is part of the reason that the specialization is is happening is because the fact that even even with the super clubs that are you are getting what you're paying for but those coaches have that it's full time so it's year round and they need to get paid year round so sure. then you need to play year round and if you're playing year round then they often always say they often will say I don't want you playing other sports because you can get right. hurt your time or you can play them but this is your number one priority and so on and so forth or coaches saying I don't want you playing high school and so a lot of the lessons you can learn and even getting different coaches, being with different players and pl- having that high school experience. I loved my high school experience. I, I can't stand when coaches say you can't play high school or a DA saying you can't play high school. Like right. these are things that, again, we're taking it away from the kids and what we know will be good experiences, will be good for them in all these different areas because it's not good for the club or it's not. And some of them may truly believe that it's best to specialize in this sport at age 10. That may literally be their belief. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with a lot of things that a lot of people believe, and that's fine. But to make that decision for the kids and for the parents and to tell the parents who don't know what... A lot of these parents have no idea about what you just said, those stats that you and I know, and we can tell our kids, and we can have perspective, and we can help our kids understand that. And if our kids choose not to play other sports, we can't make them do that. Or we guess we could, but we don't want to make them right. do that. But to say, have the coaches making that decision for these parents who don't know any better, I think honestly is malpractice. It's like coaching malpractice. Absolutely. That we are, you know, putting the club, we're putting the the bottom line ahead of these kids who we're supposedly serving. And I just I don't like it. I, I don't think, I think there's so many things wrong with it. And I honestly think it's part of the reason why our soccer in America is not going up an upward trend. At least I haven't seen, but it's, it's either plateaued or going on a downward trend. I don't know. Maybe that's taken a little too far, but I, I don't think it is. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because if you really look at the players in our pipeline, yes, I know we could spend a whole podcast about the, the U 20 team, or the 23 is not qualifying for the Olympics again. But if you really look at that, if we would have put our first team out there mm-hmm. with the Pulisic and Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams, and I could go on and on and on about all the players that we do have. Mm-hmm. So at the highest levels, I think we're we're starting to produce some players like that. I mean, look at what Gio Reyna's doing. Mm-hmm. Look at what Tim Weah, look at, look at what Pulisic they're doing at the highest levels in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't knock that. Obviously, <laughs> when you're looking at Wea and Reyna, okay, they've got some special parents. That that helps. 
Absolutely. But I, I think that we know a trained eye, by the time somebody's 15 years old, we can tell if they have a chance. Yeah. We don't ever know who's going to make it and who's not. I mean, you, you do something like like we did in this country to Freddie Adu and anoint him by the time he's 13 or 14 years old. I don't know if anyone can live up to that pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can find players like that. And when, when Landon and Demarcus Beasley and Bobby Convey were young players and into the residency at IMG, you can tell they have a chance to make it. And, and yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. But aside from those one percenters, no, I don't, I don't think you can tell. And even them, they were self-driven by the time they were younger, right. 10, 10 years old. I don't care who you are in our sport is too young, plain and simple. I think when you start getting to the high school age, you can start specializing. And I think by the time you're, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, you have a pretty good idea who at least the top 10% are that's still 90%. Now other people might have ideas that, Oh yeah. Oh, I'm just a late bloomer. And and there are always the exception to the rule. And I'll never discount the will of a young boy or girl that wants to, but if it's driven by them, it's different than being driven by their parents. You know, kids at 10, 11, 12 years old, they can't make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. I think it's up to us as leaders and coaches to continually spread the word that you are hurting your children if you make them specialize too early. Yep. Yeah, and and let me let me clarify what I was saying. I wasn't necessarily in the highest level, the top top. It was just more on the whole, on the whole. I feel like we're having less players playing and loving it when they're in high school and in college and in, as adults, and like the adult leagues and so on. I mean, there's there's more people playing. I just think that's sheer numbers. I think that the, the amount of players who are my age who still love it, I think will be less in 20, 30 years. Obviously, it's not something we can prove right now. Sure. But I just think people are, it's, it's becoming, as you said, it's becoming a job too early. I mean, even my, my 12-year-old daughter, she, you know, she's challenging herself and she's pushing herself and she's, you know, playing with the boys as much as she's playing with the girls. And that's something that's challenging her to be better. But she yeah. hurt her ankle. And, you know, she feels pressure to play on a hurt ankle because they quote need her and i'm like no <laughs> no i need to make that decision for you i talked to right. the coach yesterday unfortunately he was looking out for her too she didn't feel pressure from the coach she felt pressure from her players because it's gotten that serious at age 12 right and and it shouldn't be right like no. it shouldn't even be a question it's not like until that thing's fully healed and then a few weeks you don't touch it. And I know that because I have chronic ankle injuries because I rushed it back because we pretty much always <laughs> rushed back ankle sure. injuries as athletes. We want to play and she wants to play and I get that. But we as our parents, as with ankle injuries, we also need to protect them from what they don't know on overuse, on you know, on doing it too quickly and getting too serious too quickly. As you said, I mean, you can look and watch a kid move at 12, 13 and when they hit puberty. After puberty, you know, like as you said, you can watch for five minutes and you go, just the way they move. I know they're at a level that they at least have the athleticism. Sure. Right. And then is the soccer there? Is the work ethic there? All those X factors. Are they seen by the right person at the right time? All those things are nothing, as you said. Like you get that chance and then you can play. I mean, you know, you went to UCLA. You played with some great players, even at UCLA in front of that coach. Like you got to earn it every day. But it also comes down to some... What does the coach want? What style of play does that coach play? If, if Ziggy had a different style of play than you played, you weren't playing. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, I mean, 
I, I mean, I'm a five eight goalkeeper, so I had no chance to play at UCLA because <laughs> he only looked at goalkeepers six foot six foot two or above, whatever. Yeah. You know, and at least at that time when I was being recruited, and I think it changed a little bit when after I left, but whatever. Like that's just a reality. Now, sure. I don't know if I was good enough anyway, whatever. But point being, there are certain things that will give you that chance. And I think, I think we're losing more players, and this is kind of what I was getting at. I think we're losing more players today. You talked about it, changing the game book, talking about the kids are leaving by 13. Like, that's something that didn't happen when we were little. No way. I remember never playing happened. club in high school with players that never had any intent to play on beyond that. But they were having fun, and they were yeah. loving the game. Because we only played three, four months out of the year, and then they went to play basketball, and then they played baseball. And we all played together in all these different sports, and it was awesome. And that was just the way it was. And so I think that, you know, any last thoughts on that before we kind of move on to something else I want to talk about? No, no. I mean, like I said, I'll be sharing quite a few thoughts, but more than anything, this game's given me so much. The reason, the main reason I'm starting my podcast is to give, give back. I really do believe that parents want a couple of things. They want to keep up with the Joneses. So, oh man, we got to do extra batting lessons or we got to, do private training. We got to do this. We got to do that. No, you don't have to do any of that. You can take your soccer ball in the backyard. You can take a bucket of baseballs and a net and just hit them off a tee. There's ways to do it without spending money, but that needs to be driven by the child. And so I want to give back and educate the parents that these coaches are telling them, you need to do this. You have to do this. No, you don't. And if a coach is telling you this, it's for their best interest, not necessarily yours. You'll hear me talk a lot about yeah. that in the future. That's so good right there. That little nugget that you just said, that if they're telling you that, that's for their best interest and not yours. And the interesting thing about that, thing about that is I was hearing you say those names of those other players that played multiple sports, and I was thinking about those other people. The unfortunate part today is if you see a lot of kids, you know, you see some of these kids that are saying, hey, coach, I'm going to play the other sports. It's typically the best athletes that are allowed to do that on these teams because the coaches don't want to get rid of them. But if yeah. it's a player who's not at that elite level, the coaches say, well, if you want to do that, then you're not welcome here. Because yeah, we need to play it is unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a short little story. On my soccer team in high school, we were good enough to be CIF champ. My senior year, there were four of us that were the, the four captains. And the four of us also happened to play on the same club team who our club team, we were national champions. We also, those same four players happened to be the four wide receivers on the football team. <laughs> so when it came to our senior year and we had football practice on a Saturday morning and we had the NHB soccer tournament, our coach was like, well, what are you going to do? We can't. And, and it was during double days for football. And we had two soccer games that day in Huntington beach. It's about an hour and away. So we came together as a group of four and we said, all right, the two of us will come to morning practice and two of us will go down there and play the soccer game. And then in the afternoon, the other two will come up here and be at football practice. And the other two will be at the soccer game. We got both coaches to agree on it. We kind of did have all the power. I didn't realize it back then because if the football coach would have said, no, you got to choose. Well, then you would have been out your best four receivers. One of them, Rodney Lee, who went on to be a wide receiver at UCLA on a scholarship, didn't want to do that. And then Rodney, Kevin, and Eugene happened to be three of our four starting defenders on the club team. So really couldn't live without them either. So they, they kind of were forced to, but 
they they were willing to work with us. Right. I don't know that that happens today. Well, especially with players who aren't at that level. I think it does happen with the superstars, but there's very few of those. I, I, and I say that because I know there's some players that I've seen in the clubs around me and players that are playing high school with me that they're telling me, some of them are coming and telling me their coaches are saying they really didn't want them playing high school and they made it clear that if they played such and such, then they wouldn't be able to play in this tournament. Whereas the best players, right. that's not necessarily the same story they're being told. Fair enough. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it is. it's very unfortunate. And, uh, but you did bring back some good memories there with the NHB, <laughs> the North Huntington beach tournament. I had, yeah. uh, I had some good memories and then Ante Razov played for North Huntington beach and he had the hardest shot I've ever had to face as a, or I, I had to face at that point, at least left footed shot at that point that dude could, could shoot. And he went on to shoot very well at a lot of places. Um, yeah, he and, sure uh, did. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we lived together for a short period of time at UCLA. <laughs> But I, I remember Ante because that was a very unique name in Orange County, California, back in the in the what was that the eighties, I guess. Wow, that that's a, a long time ago. But I, I remember either his mom or somebody else on that team telling Ante to shoot very often, and uh, and he did, and and it was it was fun. But anyway, those were the days. But yeah, yeah so. I want to go back to you talking about with your dad, that idea of him saying, hey, you know, go out in the backyard and do those free throws. And, you know, and as you said, you know, you thought it was it just made me picture my kid, you know, saying, hey, dad, can we go shoot out back and play horse? And I like that idea because I was talking to my son the other day, you know, to kind of mix the two sports. But he yeah. was talking about wanting to play pro and he's like, oh, I'm, I, he was a striker. So he's going along with the pure strikers mindset. He thinks he's yeah. really good and he's 10 years old. <laughs> and I said, well, how often did you go out in the backyard by yourself and just juggle in the last week? And he's like, I juggled today. I said, where? He goes, practice. I said, okay, how often mm -hmm. have you done it by yourself in the backyard or at the park? And he's like, he just looked at me. I knew the answer. Yeah. I said, if you want to be the best, now, I'm not, it's your choice. But if you want to be the best at anything that you do, you're going to be having to go out and do that on your own. It's got to be you wanting to do it. I can't make you do it. And I'm not going to make you do it. You got to want it. Now, if you watch your brother, who's now going to getting ready to go to college to play, he goes out there and he's out there shooting baskets or he's out there juggling or he's out there doing whatever. And some of his personality I get. But what have you seen with that, with your players, with you, when you played at UCLA, you know, watching your brother, these different things that you've seen different players at all levels. Have you seen that as a kind of a common thread amongst these players as they figure out how to motivate themselves to do these things on their own? Or have you seen kind of people overcome that lack of self-driven motivation at the highest levels? I don't think I've, it's rare that I come across a very high level player that is not intrinsically motivated. They either have this desire to win and compete, which most of them do, or they have this just innate ability that they love the process. You know, you look at a, a Kobe Bryant, a Michael Jordan, not only were they competitors, but they actually enjoyed the grind. And as I look back at my best, I enjoyed the grind. I just wasn't talented enough or, or athletic enough to make it all the way. But I mean, I remember times where, you know, like I told you, my parents split up when I was young, but they never lived more than, than a handful of miles away from each other. So I, I remember I needed to do a run and 
I was at my mom's house and I was like, you know what? I'm going to run to my dad's house. And they looked at me and growing in Southern California, like, but it's raining outside. It never rains there. I'm like, so I'll get wet. I'm going to get wet sweating anyway. And I go for a run. And I remember just taking the ball myself. And I look back and I look at my brother. My brother never picked up the soccer ball and juggled it. He'd shoot his free throws. He loved batting practice and he loved to play just as much as I do. So he didn't necessarily go do those individual things, but he was always playing. He was always playing flag football or touch football or, or basketball or, or baseball or soccer. He really more enjoyed that. I, I did too, to be honest. I just was four years older and had to do it on my own sometimes. And so everybody that I've, I've seen at the highest level, they do one or the other. They'll go out and, and whether it's, hey, I'm going to go play pickup basketball for five hours at the park. Okay. They're getting better that way. And the game, no matter what your sport is the best teacher, I truly believe that. And so I don't think you have to have that grind of, I need to juggle the ball all the time. But like for me, now that, that I think about it, we'd call each other, hey, let's go meet at Heritage Park. And I remember there was times where my brother had a little league game and there was six of us there and we'd be shirts and skins, take off our shoes. And we're playing three V three in the outfield past the fence. And I know the, some of the parents were watching us play more than they're watching the <laughs> 10 year old little league baseball games. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be just that, but somebody that truly loves to play, mm-hmm. I think either, or, and as you get older, you got to have both. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be that both. And you got to love it at some level, you got to love something about it and it can't just be, you know, we talked about it becoming a job too early. Like if it's ever truly just a job, I don't think it'll work. You know, at some point that won't work. It's got to be an intrinsic love for that. Now you could do it for a while and fake it, but like anything else, I think you'd burn out on it at some point, even if you're getting paid, whatever. And that's why you see people leave the game and they're like, I just didn't love it. I was done. Yeah. Because they could be getting paid a lot, but it's just, it's too much. Right? Sure. And, and, and when, when you think about that, when you think about guys could get paid millions of dollars and they still walk away because it's just too much and they don't love it, think about a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old who has no ability to be able to, they have no maturity to deal with that. No. And, and they, they're, they're afraid to let their parents down. Yep. And that, that saddens me more than anything. You know, every year. I asked my son and my daughter, I asked Bella and Luca, Hey, do you want to do this? No, I don't want like, you know, my son has done karate. He's done gymnastics. He's played basketball. He plays soccer. And we'd ask him every year, do you want to play baseball? No. All your friends on your soccer team playing baseball. Do you want to play? No, I'll play catch with you in the backyard, but I don't want to play. And you know, to the relief of my wife and I, because I don't want to sit out at baseball tournaments for days on end. Amen but, to that. But we leave it up to him. And, and that's one of the things I've always had that talk with my kids is, you know what? Hey, I know you've seen your uncle Carlos on TV and you still see him on TV sometimes. I know you've seen daddy coach on TV and you see that all the time. Just because we did this doesn't mean you have to. So you, you love your Thea Darcy just as much. You don't see her on TV. She might've been the best player out of all three of us. She was mm. the biggest, strongest, most talented, 
but she just did it because she had fun. She didn't mm-hmm. want to do it anymore. So it's okay. Play because you want to have fun. Yeah. Play because you enjoy it. But that's it. I, I really wish more people would do that. And if they did, I think we would actually turn out more players at higher numbers at the higher level throughout because it's their choice, not the parents' choice. Yeah. My daughter in college, she went to college to play and she just made the decision after her second year to, to not play anymore. And she just said, I want to focus on what I'm really passionate about. And I said, awesome. That's fantastic, you know, to be able to do that. And I said, I hope in 20 years you'll love playing still like at some, at some level, you'll sure. love this, you'll love the game to be able to play it, but it wasn't there right now. And that's, that's fantastic. Like that she was able to have that decision and I was able to not only support her in it, but I just said, I'm so proud of you that you could make this decision and and she goes are you bummed are you are you disappointed i said of course i'm bummed i'll never get to see you play the game again cuz i love watching you play but i'm excited for you i mean heck i stopped playing in college too for a very similar reason and that's i still love the game and i still have learned and i was able to to walk away from it with this feeling of i did what i was supposed to do with this game and i can still play it the rest of my life and not feel like ill feelings toward this great great game yeah. that we love no, absolutely. Because when you love it, you just keep playing. You know, there there is this place called the Upland Arena and, and it's an indoor facility. And for probably 10 years after me and a group of my friends were done playing competitively, we played there and we had a team in the league every single year and we had so much fun. And, you know, if I live back in California, some of those guys still play there. And it's fantastic. Did they play on the Celtic back in the day? Upland Celtic? No, we were the Aztecs. We started the Aztec. We, our Arsenal club basically took Celtic, Aztec, and another team from Riverside and merged them together. And that became Arsenal. So I played on the very first Arsenal team from Southern California. Yeah. I remember those green and white jerseys like it was yesterday. All right. So let's let's move on to something that, you know, it's a bit more personal to you. What, What is your personal why? your life purpose and and really how does that play out in your coaching at Houston and your marriage parenting and really other, every area of your life? How are you able to incorporate that? Why into what you do? Yeah, I think for whatever reason, I I was born with too much confidence and along with that confidence, I've just felt that I'm here to be able to influence a lot of people. And, And I never, I didn't always know how I was going to do that, but I truly believe that my purpose here is to improve the life of everybody that I touch. So for the last 20 years, I've been able to use soccer as the vehicle. When when I bring recruits on campus, I tell them that I'm a mentor. I'm a leader. I also happen to coach soccer, but we're going to use soccer and this team and this program and this university to teach you life lessons. So if you are only a better soccer player when you leave here, then I've failed. If you're a better person, if you have better relationships, if you're a better daughter, one day, if you are a better girlfriend or wife and you're a better boss or employee, then I've done my job. And so I truly feel my purpose is to make a positive impact on everyone that I've come across. So no matter what, whether it was when I was teaching or coaching youth, or doing financial planning, or now coaching and 
part of the reason I'm starting the podcast is because I want to positively impact more people than just the circle that I have. Now, I know I impact more people in the same way the coaches before me impacted me because, you know, I've been very blessed. People like Bill Schwartz, who a lot of people have never heard of, that the coach at Pomona Pitzer, who was my brother's club coach. He got me into coaching and he's mentored me ever since. And I still have a relationship with him. People wouldn't know his name per se, but he's had such an impact on me that a lot of the things I learned from him, I've passed along. And I hope that same thing with the players that I've coached, they go on and do that in their lives. So I know that that tree is growing and I'm influencing people that way, but I want to do that on a higher level, on a bigger stage. I think because of the platform that my career has taken and and I've got a little bit of a voice now and and I'm hoping to grow that voice and influence to just really truly impact people in a positive way. And I I take that job seriously. I I take that as a parent, as a husband. And it's, I mean, you can hear me getting emotional because it's a big deal to me and it's really difficult uh, at, at times because I feel that I've been blessed with certain talents and it's a burden sometimes, but that's what gets me through the hard times. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's why we get along. I think very well, because I think we have very similar whys and I love it because it's not just words. It's, it's who you are and it's pouring out. And I love that we do have mediums right now to be able to to share that and to be able to live out that why live out that passion with the people right in front of us. And you'll never forget that. And you'll never, as I say, your, your most important platform, I don't care how big you are, is the one right in your own home. And then beyond that, it's right in your own backyard in your, what you're doing with the people that if you were to disappear for six months, they'd know it and they'd miss it. Right. And so to not sacrifice that for the other, but to also know that we have the ability to multiply and to be able to train up others and to be able to impact them and help them. And, and so with that, I, you know, with, you know, if you're not watching on the video, you're not seeing it. I mean, this isn't just words coming across the waves. This is real. And this is Diego and who he is and it's why he's doing what he's doing. So I want you to share, you know, you've talked about the podcast a little bit, but what, when, when are you planning on uh, getting that out there? What's it going to be called? If you know that already, I want people to be able to find that, to be able to get more of this, more of just you sharing your heart. And uh, it'll be more of you, you talking, like you said, a 15, 20 minute deal every so often, maybe do an interview, but really be able to just hear what you want to share and what's on your heart, just like you did there. So share with people kind of more of the details if you, if you got them already. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the podcast is going to be called Boca. Obviously my last name being Boca Negra. If you don't know Spanish, it's black mouth. Shorten it down to Boca because I happen to be one of those people that runs my mouth all the time. I'm always talking, um, having a good time. Obviously got a little emotional there, but that's just who I am that I'm passionate. And because I'm passionate, I I care about people and, and I really want to influence people in the right way. And so it will, sometimes it'll be emotional. Like I just got right there and that's just who I am. I got that from my mother and that that's just who I am. But you know, it's because if I learned anything from her is just to be the best person you can and to, to care about people, you know, one of the coolest things 
and I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but I remember as a kid being in the grocery store and it didn't matter if I was with my dad, with my stepmom or my mom. And I've never ever met a student of theirs that didn't come up to them when they were an adult or later and see them. Oh, Mr. Boke, Ms. Boke, whatever. And come up to my parents and, oh my goodness, your mom or your dad or whatever. They were my favorite teacher of all time. They were hard on me and, oh, was it pain in the butt? And I'd look at them like, yeah, I live with them. I know. But they cared about me and they taught me and I was better. And I didn't understand the lessons they were teaching me back then, but now I do. And I'm so grateful for it. And so I just see the impact that they made on 30, 40, 50, 100 students a year, depending on whether they're at the elementary school or the high school level. And they did that year after year after year after year. And I guess, oh, I just haven't seen my parents in two years. <laughs> so. Mm. I'm usually not this emotional. I don't know what. <laughs> I just want to influence lives like they did. So I think that's part of my drive. I, I think that's part of my purpose is I've just seen them my whole life. Just everyone around them loves them and adores them. And it's not just because their friends or this, not whatever. They just, I don't know. I've learned so many things. Like we always talk about books and learning from this and that. And I've just learned so much from all four of my parents that I guess that's why I'm emotional right now because maybe I'm just realizing that my whole life I've been taught and I'm just, really teaching what I've learned. Do I get better at my craft? Yes. Do I, do I read books to help me kind of conceptualize all the lessons that I've learned over the years? Absolutely. And I think that's really what it is. I've learned too many lessons from all my parents to ever really realize it. And, and I think as I read these and what I gravitate to in the books that I've read, are lessons that I've already learned. And now we just, I'm learning the science behind why they work. My parents were, they learned through their education. And as they learned how to become teachers, yes, they learned the science behind learning and certain things like that. But I don't know that any of them truly studied leadership like I have. They just had it. They, they learned their leadership through experience. And so I guess that they're my biggest influence. Well, I, I hope they are able to listen to this because I have no doubt that will be, you know, you're a parent. That would be about as incredible words for a parent to hear as anything. So uh, I'm glad I got to be a part of that and definitely, definitely encouraged, super encouraged by that. So thanks for, thanks for being being real and, and raw and vulnerable because that's what makes great leaders too is that vulnerability to let people in. And so I think that that's important and I, I do encourage and it's not about, you know, any podcast or whatever. 
it's about who you are, but I know that who you are will come out in that podcast. So I encourage you to check it out when it when it when it drops, which is Boca. By the time this airs, you'll probably already have it out there. So go ahead and, and find Boca. I encourage you to subscribe to that as well as this because it'll be a great companion to a lot of what we're talking about here, I have no doubt. Even though I haven't heard it yet, I have no <laughs> doubt it'll be a great companion to this just based on what I know about you and the the little we've been able to get to know each other over the last few months. So thank you for 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 that and just who you are. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. So a few more questions before we yeah. uh, we wrap up here. One one is just off, off the same idea as the, the podcast. We mentioned Clubhouse earlier. So we have podcasting, which is cool, but this is a this is like a vacuum, like very, you know, controlled environment, right? I mean, not based yeah. on what we just saw that wasn't that wasn't uh necessarily a great example of the controlled environment but it's still a very controlled environment right but but clubhouse is really dynamic it has a bunch of people coming in we have no idea who's coming in any given day what what do you love about clubhouse and why should people get involved with clubhouse and what what are you talking about on clubhouse as we as we have these conversations Oh, I love Clubhouse. To me, it's almost like an interactive podcast. And it can be so many different things. It can be a teaching tool. I've been in several rooms where they're teaching you about social media or marketing or business or crypto or sports. And it can also just be a way to hang out. There's some rooms in there where people are just fans and they're talking about Major League Baseball or UEFA. They're talking about soccer. They're talking about whatever. And it's just another way for people to connect it's audio only. So you can do it while you're driving in the car. You can do it while you're cooking dinner or, or washing dishes. And I love that about it because it just, I love connecting with people. And so it's, it's in the podcast realm, you know, the rooms that you run and, and I run, it is almost like an interactive podcast, but it's just a platform to share and learn from each other. That's what I love the most about it. In a lot of the rooms that, that we've been in together, we're sharing tips and ideas of leadership and we're telling stories. Um, and a lot of the stuff we talk about on clubhouse, I'm going to bring it out to the podcast, but it's different in a podcast. You can listen to it whenever you want, how you want. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I think that's beautiful, but in clubhouse, it's real time. You can ask questions. I mean, I had a conversation with Lexi Lawless on his in his room the other day. It's like, when are you going to get a chance to just, you know, one on one with two hundred people in the audience have a conversation? And you know, I've I've had chats with with other people like that. And then, you know, I'm sure there's other people like, oh man, I got on stage with Diego and Phil, <laughs> and they're thinking the same thing. Maybe not, but. Um, I hope no, they have higher aspirations than that. At least yeah. with me, I don't know. You're pretty big time, but uh, you no. know, whatever. No, I'm kidding. But it really is that, you know, just been in a room with the the Texas volleyball coach, Jarrett. And as we were doing that, he's preparing for the NCAA championships goes on and goes all the, the finals loses in the championship game. But he shared some wisdom that I don't know that you'd get anywhere else. And, and it's just really cool. And so I hope more people will get involved. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, the clubhouse app, check it out i mean get get i don't know if it's still invitation i think it's still invitation only get an invitation from someone i have a few reach out to me if you want one and we can get you on there and it's it's fantastic we'll have on the show notes the the times of our rooms but it really is i agree with all everything you just said it's 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 so 
just a great platform to be able to get on. It's not anonymous either. The thing is, you can't pose as like something you're not. Right. Um, I guess you could, but you'd get found out pretty darn quick. Very quickly. right. And if you get up on stage, you you know, you, it's not a fake it till you make it thing, right? It's a you better know what you're talking about if you get up there if you're going to add stuff to the mix. But on the same side, you can ask questions and you can say, I don't know. And you can ask other people and I'm moderating the room, but I'm learning stuff the entire time. And I'm asking the questions and I'm saying, I don't know. What do you guys think? And we have these great people. I remember the one room you mentioned Moe Do, and he was on there with, yeah. Uh, yeah and because he pinged Bedoya to come on and they come on, they're talking about captaincy at the union and national team stuff. And that was a fun conversation where you were on there and Amanda from Fief Pro. And now she's, she's moving yeah. on to something else, but she was on there. Band Report, um, yeah. And then obviously Paul and, and Christian and Don and the kind of the normal Phil Smith from who used to work at Manchester United now owns a team. And these are guys that are doing cool things from completely different areas, completely different disciplines. And we can have these great conversations that just happen. Like you said, it's just, it's, it's natural. It's real time. It's like, Hey, I think this person would be good and you can invite, you know, them up, whatever. So that's, what's so cool. Love it. And I uh, do encourage you. And the other thing about it, I've met, I mean, we met through it. Yeah, that's right? how we met. It's and been you know, great for other, building relationships. It's and, super good. And you don't have to be on stage if you just want right. to come in a room and learn. Yes. Just sit in the audience and, and listen. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so that's the other beautiful thing. You can connect with the people from it. And I've connected with Amanda through that. I've connected with you through, you know, with with Mo, some other guys. So it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to be able to do that and and just encourage each other and you said inspire and teach and all the things that we're wired to do in our wise we can help there and we can actually hear that feedback immediately too yeah. which is another thing that podcasting sometimes it's a more passive environment which on that note folks please don't make it passive make it active en engage us whether it's on Facebook emails things like that you know, for Diego, when he launches his engage with him, I have no doubt that will make his day when he gets emails and notes and stuff saying how it's impacted him. Just hear how he's impacted by his parents getting that at the supermarket with podcasting. We don't get that very often. I did have one <laughs> where a dude in Columbia, South America, I was at a conference and he's like, how do I know you? And I, and I said, I don't know. And he goes, you do that podcast, not this podcast, my other <laughs> podcast. Awesome. But I was like, what the heck just happened? So that does happen. That's not the usual thing, though. So give us feedback. Give Diego feedback when he does it. Give me feedback because that's how we start relationships. That's how we can hopefully impact and encourage each other even more. So going back to you, you mentioned your your financial planning insurance days. Yeah. So when, when you were now, I, I hope you can look back and kind of think about it a little bit, but how do you use the leadership teamwork principles from your soccer career in that stint that you had in uh, the financial planning insurance field? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It, it was almost the other way around, or it was a two-way street, I should say. Part of the reason I got into that. So I was coaching club soccer and teaching and I, one of the players, fathers that I coached, he said, Hey, I want you to come to have breakfast with me with, with this guy. And the guy's name was Kurt, Kurt Joyner, who has become a very good friend and mentor of mine. And I had just finished, finished reading two books, rich dad, poor dad, and the millionaire next door. And I knew I wanted to do something else. Like I, I really liked soccer, but I didn't know if it was the career path that I wanted to take. I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher and soccer coach. 
So I said, yeah, okay, this sounds good. Let's sit down. He invited me. We had breakfast. He told me about it, invited me out to his office. And next thing I know, I'm working for this company, Primerica. Well, the great part about this was Kurt is an amazing person and an amazing man. You know, this is a person who was $30,000 in debt working in a factory. And the reason I share this is he shares this with everyone. This is his story, but, and living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing how he's going to get ahead in life. And Hector Lamarck, a person who is one of the, I don't know, one of the senior level executives in the company now and has been for a long, long time, sat him down and said, what are you going to do? Is this how you're going to live the rest of your life? Let me teach you how to do this. Let me teach you how to help families. And Kurt being the person that he is, that's that was his passion. He wanted to help families. He wanted to help his own family. And so he taught me a lot of things of just, hey, the reason you will enjoy this, one, you're young, you're, you got a good personality, you can make good money, but I can tell you want to help people. You can help families. He said, I've delivered... 12, it was 12 at that time. I'm sure it's been a lot more 12 life insurance checks to a spouse that they would not have been able to make ends meet without it. I have provided investments for people that they were able to put their kids through college. And he just throughout that we read books together. We, we, I learned about personalities. I learned sales and, and he taught me so much that it was a two way street. A lot of the leadership principles that I learned from my parents and from my coaches, it was like, Oh, well, yeah, I, I know how to do this. And I think that's part of the reason he was attracted to me. He's like, you have this innate ability to sit down at a kitchen table with somebody and go over their finances and understand this because you really have their best interests at heart. You're not going to try to sell them anything they don't want or need. And, and when I realized that, I think my time with Kurt is when my coaching career changed because I realized I, I left soccer for about a full year and did this full time. And I realized if I apply the lessons that Kurt is teaching me and to put other people first, and I'm like, Oh wait, those are the same things that my parents were always saying, hmm. put the students first, put, put these people first and teach without or educate or help without really wanting anything in return, you're going to get in return tenfold. And so I'm hearing this from my parents. I'm hearing this from Kurt. All this is starting. And then, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I was in my mid twenties to, to late twenties, I, I had a lot of fun. I wanted to go out. I wanted to party. I wanted to stay out all night, sleep in. I coached in the evenings. I could do all this stuff. All these people got me back on the right track. And so it was a two way street where I was learning from them teaching all these things and realized that I love soccer. It got me back into it, become, but I became a so much better coach because now I became a college coach and all the sales I learned the right sales techniques, not hard selling, not anything, just showing people what they want that helped me in my recruiting and just the personal interaction that helped me be a better individual coach. At times I looked at the big tactics and I forgot that these players weren't just pawns. They were actual people. And so all of that kind of led into, and I'm a much better coach now because of the person that 
Kurt was and taught me to be. Now, Kurt's a family man, and he also happens to be a big soccer fan. So I think we got along really well there. And Phil, you'll love this. He was a goalkeeper. He was one of the guys that would come out and he was our indoor goalkeeper for a long, long time playing with with our team. So we got, we got along that way and, and we remained friends because of that. But as I look back, that's how I've realized it doesn't matter if it's through soccer, through financial planning, through teaching, through coaching, everybody has the chance to make an impact on other people's lives. And right now, soccer has been my vehicle for the last 20 years. It's not going to be that vehicle forever. So I'll take all these lessons and figure out how I can continue to impact people in their lives. Yeah. And that's a great segue into the last few questions here. But the first one is, and you know, I've started asking this over the last few interviews I've done with coaches. And so if, if you've listened to the last uh, several episodes of coaches, you've heard this question before. But what is the one thing that you hope that all of your players will understand and live out when they leave your University of Houston soccer program? Basically, if they haven't learned it from you when they leave your program, you'll feel as if you failed them. What, what would that be? Well, I think we have four core values that kind of encapsulate everything that we've been talking about today, you know, first one's positive mentality. And that doesn't mean rainbows and butterflies. It means having the right attitude to show up to training every single day, show up to your academics and your relationships, and just be basically a growth mindset, ready to get better as a person, maximum effort, give your best in everything you do. We have a saying in my house, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability for my kids and their chore charts. If you sign your name that you did this chore, that means you did it to the best of your ability. Because if I go in your bathroom, you said you cleaned it and it's clean, but not really to the best of your ability. Okay. Then that's, that doesn't work. So maximum effort, just give everything you do in your schooling, in soccer, in your relationships, and that'll carry over. Uh, A really important one to me is be a good teammate, be the servant, be the person that you can be, be the person that your teammates need you to be, not the person that you want to be. Put others first and you will get more in return from everyone else. So be a good teammate. And then the last one is have fun. We are meant to enjoy life. We are meant to enjoy each other. So if they can take all the lessons that we we take from those core values and take them into their lives, I think they'll lead successful and meaningful lives and they'll impact the people around them. So if they do that, the results from their jobs, from their finances, from their relationships, they'll come. Focus on the process, focus on all those things. And I hammer on them all the time, so I'd be shocked if they don't leave with at least some of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, hopefully you bat higher than 500 on that one. But a similar question, I mean, you, you kind of talked a little bit about this. It's, it's, it's a little different. It's, it's a very different question, but it may have some of the same overlap here. But what lessons learned directly from the game of soccer have you used in your life and leadership in your marriage and parenting? You know, like the idea of retaliator gets the red that you probably heard if you listen to my interview with Paul, but things like that. Yeah, I, I think more than anything from soccer, I learned that there's so much that's out of our control. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is a Charles Swindoll quote, and it's a longer quote, but the end of the quote and the gist of it is life is 10% of your circumstances and 90% how you react to them. Mm. And soccer is so unpredictable. It's so fluid as a coach. 
I'm not in control. As a player, I thought I was in control. I was in control of me, but I wasn't in control. So the change, the, the situations are always going to change. Your life situation is always going to change. Soccer, it's moving constant. There's so many moving parts, you know, 22 players on the field, three referees, coaches, staff, medical. There's so many moving parts and personalities out there. It's impossible to control everything. Just like your life. You're never going to be able to control your boss's actions or your spouse or your kids. You can help them and build relationships to help guide them, but those are out of your control. The only thing that's in your control is you and how you respond to these situations. And so if we can take that out of soccer and apply that to life, I think it just gives you a lot more peace of mind knowing that you're really not in control of anything other than how you react to the situations that you're in. Yeah. I talk about that all the time with people. Just you can't make anyone do anything. No. You can have consequences for not doing something if the sure. kids are with other people and that you're a leader over, but you can't make them do anything. They can choose not to. You can kick them off the team. Sure. But you can't make them do that thing. Correct. Right? And so it's going back to the influence and leadership is influence and, and the fact that you talk about those core values. Like those are things that you have to choose. You have to opt in. And uh, same thing with everything. I love that. I love that. And I think it's so so important to even talk about your dad. I loved how he did that. I mean, that's a, that's a teacher if I've ever heard it right. Like oh, for out, sure. out, just a leader. Like you said, it's, it's just a leader. Like, Hey, you, you don't have to go out and do this, but if you want me to play, then you got to hit the free throws. Now I will have to say though, going back to that, your bar of shooting free throws better than an NBA player, maybe a pretty low bar. Cause that's, that's not as good as it used to be. Right. You know, so just throwing that out there. Hey, I know I can beat Shaq in a free throw contest. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, no, I love that. I love that. Um, that lesson again, these are things that I, I continually take and learn and add to my, my repertoire as I'm talking with my players as well, which is really cool. All right, so a last question. I've always, you know, it's always a bittersweet feeling to finish these interviews because I want to go on and on. But I have no doubt we'll have more conversations. We'll get you on at some other time after you've launched your podcast and we can talk about how that's impacting lives too. And at some other time, hopefully you'll be able to come back on here and you'll do another interview. But what have you read, listened to, or watched that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explain life and leadership? Yeah, as you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. And so I read quite a bit and I don't always read just soccer books, but, you know, listening to just, there's so many soccer podcasts out there, but I I prefer reading books about the mind and mentality. Like I said, I always recommend mindset by Carol Dweck because it can make you a better person, coach, teacher, just understanding how the, the mind works a little bit. I know you probably had every coach talk about legacy on here, but books like Grit by Angela Duckworth, Drive uh, by Daniel Pink. Shoot, just turn around and look behind me. Oh, <laughs> Toughness by Jay Billis. I really like that book. It, it, it's just a kind of a, a raw look at, at what he had. I've read books from Coach K to Sir Alex Ferguson. Just, it, it really doesn't matter if you just take the time and read them, digest them, take something out of each thing and apply it to you. I think one that probably hasn't been recommended is a a book called Black Box Thinking. This is a really intriguing book to me. It was recommended to me by a parent of one one of Luca's teammates, parents. And Black Box Thinking, it's exactly what it talks about. 
they looked back and studied the black boxes of airplanes and how they crashed. And you can learn all kinds of things about leadership and culture and, and how sometimes the co-pilot knew that they were about to crash, but didn't say anything because the culture that they were in, mm. it, he was not allowed to speak to the captain. And had he spoken up, he would have alerted the captain, they would have saved it and none of them would have died, but he didn't yeah. say anything because of the, until it was too late. And there's just so many cool things. And I think that's one, I don't remember the author, but it's probably a book that you've never been recommended. Black box thinking. It's pretty cool. It is not. And we'll find it. I will find it and put it in the show notes. So awesome. we'll get that author. You can also, I'm sure you can use this thing called Google. If you're listening <laughs> to this and you have a internet, the uh, worldwide webs that we've heard about, it's uh, you can find that black box thinking. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out for sure. I love it. It reminds me of... Uh, I think it was it was a Gladwell book, and I'm pretty sure it was Blink that he talked about that same thing as far as the the pilots that it's whether it's pride, whether it's they don't want people, you know, you know, it all kind of come down to pride sure. if you're not going to say something because you think that you might be stupid or you don't want to question the person above it could be the opposite of you know where right. you're just not confident that you think oh well the the pilot must understand something I don't or whatever, rather than just having that culture of openness, that culture of trust, that culture of vulnerability, going back to any healthy leadership team, healthy team is that's part of it is that vulnerability to be able to, to have that healthy conflict, which could be that thing that could save your life in that instance, or could save the team, could save the culture, could save something in at the lesser levels of our lives. So now appreciate that. Absolutely. So thanks again, Diego, for, I mean, just who you are, man. I've, I've loved getting to know you over the last few months. I had loved getting to know you more in the last hour and a half for that matter. And, uh, seeing that, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's why I do what I do. And I just want to thank you. And I look forward to seeing how this relationship bears more fruit for me and hopefully for, for others out there, whether on clubhouse, whether through podcasts, whether through just the different things we can do together in the future. So thanks. Thanks for being who you are, man. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, Phil. Always enjoy our conversations. All right, folks. Well, uh, thank you for uh, being part of this. You know, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And I hope that you are taking what you're learning and you're using it to help you be a better leader. And, and again, engage with this conversation. Maybe even listen to it with a few of your other coaches friends, different people, with your spouses, with the people in your lives, with your kids. I know a lot of parents have listened to this podcast on their way to games to learn our way home or just going to practices or just going on road trips and talking about it because that's why we do this. I know it's why Diego does what he does and what he's doing with this new podcast. So use it in whatever way works for you. But also join us on the Facebook group. Join us on Clubhouse. Email me, phil at howsoccerexplainsleadership.com if you have any ideas on how to make this show better, any guests, including yourself, if you think you'd be a good guest for this. I'd love to talk with you more about that. And if nothing else, get to know each other and how we can hopefully encourage each other and sharpen each other to be better coaches and better human beings. So, folks, with that, I just want to thank you again for joining us again this week. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show. And take everything that you're learning from this show to help you to not only be a better leader in your home, in your coaching, in your parenting, everything you're doing, but also to help you understand how soccer really does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.